trauma. <laughs> yeah, hell, hell yeah. Yeah, a lot of trauma. <laughs> trauma. <laughs> trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> oh, snap. Yeah. Trauma. Uh, <laughs> trauma. Yeah. <laughs> like we're yeah. And we're like, okay, we're going to do trauma. That's <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> awesome. Reactive trauma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trauma. Hold on, let me shut my fan off so it doesn't sound like I'm like. I don't. And my, and my fan's on. Do you hear mine? No, not at all. I just uh, shut mine off and I might turn it back on. It's like it's cold up here. Like it really is cold up here. Yeah. It was like 49 degrees this morning. And the leaves are changing colors. Oh, wow. And it's freaking me out. Everything's backwards. Like for July? Wow. Like I like came home. Uh, from the Cape, and I was like looking at the ground, and I was like, "Why are there leaves on the ground?" And I kind of giggled to myself, like, "That's crazy," you know, like that can't be leaves. And then I was right. like, "No, that's totally leaves. Not a lot, but enough where I was like, that's weird." So I took the dog for a walk, and you come down to this gully almost, and people come from all over to take pictures of these beautiful trees that turn red. The first things that turn red in the fall, so you have a beautiful mountain backdrop, and you have all of this gorgeous greenery, and then these bright vivid cardinal red trees and it was they're red already like we're talking yeah. happens in like late no like early september but right like, we're like a month and a half early it's just freaking me out i don't know what's going on mother nature is pissed yeah so that, that's just reminding me of when i lived in wisconsin for a few years as a kid and winter was from the end of september to like the end of May. I don't know why, but winters were just brutal. And then, you know, we would have a fucking blizzard on like May 29th, like, ha, ha, ha. And forever, huh? Like, yeah. five years. Keep going. I'm sorry. But that's just, I don't know why, but you talking about foliage in July up there, which is beautiful in New England. Like, I love, I love that. So beautiful. But when it's literally July, yeah. And like, I'm looking at my window right now. I see my garden, which by the way, even the garden had a fucked up year. Like it's so, it's bountiful and it's, it's so amazing. But like out of all of, first of all, the, the little chipmunks, those little chippies have, they ruined most of my garden. I had to double plant most of my things. So mm-hmm. now what happened? Because in early June, it was a hundred degrees. So mm. everything, you know, either darted, which means it goes right to seed. Or they right. didn't head, which means the cauliflower and the broccoli and sometimes cabbage, they don't head. They don't produce the head that you're looking right. for. So out of the second time planting, out of the 12 plants that I put in, like only four of them took. Out of my 12 Brussels sprouts, only one of them took. Like it's it, it's really crazy. The tomatoes, because of the rain, all died. They don't like being wet. When tomatoes, something fun fact for all of you gardeners out there. Tomatoes don't like their leaves being wet. That's why they really thrive when their roots are wet and only watered. And they like to dry out completely. So people will usually overwater their plants. And that's a lot of the reason why some of the fruit doesn't turn uh, red on, on the actual plants. 
So I have my tomatoes and some of them are in the ground and some of them are in containers. And I never, ever water anything in my garden with a hose. I always water at the root. So it's been really interesting to see how the garden has been responding because it's also not doing very well. My sunflowers are like 10 feet tall. My cucumbers out of control, but even my zucchini plants and my summer squash and my butternut squash, I never see that. I never, ever see that happen. So it's just been really unique this year, I think. Yeah. I think Mother Nature's in reactive trauma. <laughs> yeah, hell, hell yeah. Like I was like, so basically all of that, long story fucking longer, is Mother Nature is also in reactive trauma. Yeah. I know that this is going to, this is, so Tony and I have, this is like our second time recording this podcast, meaning this topic. And per usual, you know, anytime there's a break and things don't line up and we've had like a few weeks where things haven't been able to line up, it's... It, I don't know why this still surprises me, but there's usually something either catastrophic or that we don't see coming that needs to happen in order for us to have the actual message and medicine for the podcast. And this was no different. So this one's like, let's take them out by the legs. Let's bring them down. So I'd like to share something. And people probably know this already by now, but I don't necessarily share all that too much about things because I respect the people in my life's privacy, even the people who, you know, have hurt me, pissed me off, abusers, things like that. I expect the people would keep my name private and in such stories that affect us and a part of our lives. I think that that's important. So I don't want to be disrespectful. So I feel like dealing with this family or that family, but I would just want to say these people and, and not have to be disrespectful because I'm not trying to minimize their importance as people, as humans, and as as their lives, but I also want to protect their identity. So I just preface it with that. Ran into some some chaoticness, went on vacation. I'm not even going to get into where it was or anything like that, but up to the vacation. It wasn't even a vacation. It was just like a four-day kind of visit. And of course, when I go to these different places, because I live so far up in the woods, not everybody gets to see me, uh, you know, and because of COVID and stuff, it's been very sparse that I've been around people or are there. So when I go to a certain place and when I go to certain places, uh, it tends to be a lot of people want to come to like, you know, like, oh my God, let's all hang out, right? So this was no different. So leading up to this, there was a lot of juggling and moving around and, you know, oh, well, we want to be there for this and we don't want to miss out on that and we want to go there as well. So, and then the days would change and the nights would change and who was coming and how it was all organized kept changing. And I didn't give a shit. I just wanted to go and have a good time and relax. Of course, I had some things that I wanted to do, like, you know, that I had on my list, but it really didn't matter. I just wanted to be and just have a good time. So it ended up, plans got changed, doing the one thing that I wanted to do, uh, I couldn't do because people were late. People were now staying over. They weren't going to stay over. The traffic getting to the place that we were going was horrendous. And there was a little bit of like, well, I expect you to be able to take care of you know, driving situations and getting people home when when I just wanted to be chilling with my son. I wanted to take him shopping for school. I He's 15. I don't get to do this a lot more, you know? Like, I look at these moments as very limited. Not that, like, it sounds like so morbid, like my son's dying or something. He's not, but he's 15. Like, how much more time is he going to want to be like, sure, mom, I'll hang out with you and do this. Or like, that I get to him by myself, you know, for any amount of time. So I was going to soak it in. I, I was really looking forward to soaking it in. And... I normally would cower and cave to this specific family more so just out of conditioning and out of my love, my deep love for, for these people. 
But I realized at that very moment, by the reaction of me saying I wouldn't do that, I didn't get a chance to say why I wouldn't do that. I just said I wouldn't, like I said, no, I can't do that. And you would have thought that I had just fucking told her, you know, that I was like sleeping with her husband or that I had just said to her, like, I fucking hate you and your family. Like it was, it was really fucked up to me. <laughs> like, and it kind of took me aback, but the way that it was handled and, and the way that children were brought into it and the way that, you know, it was conveyed and it, it, it really was awful. I mean, it was awful. And, and I didn't get a chance to kind of say my piece on how this affected me. It was almost like, well, I don't want to sit in that traffic and God forbid you don't take care of this for me when the truth of the reality is I go far above and beyond all the time. So it really took me aback and I felt I was mad at myself. I didn't handle myself the way I wanted to. I should have said so many things. I was in my head about it. You know, my reactor trauma was like, fuck this person. And I really wanted to react and say like, we waited for you or we fucking changed plans for you. And I go jump through whoops for you. But none of that mattered because at that very moment, I realized that all I do by doing that and showing what what the tons that that person has failed is I am just feeding the situation. And even though it is rare that I don't pull through for anybody, Tony, you know that. Yeah. Like that the the one time that I don't pull through, I would. I'm sorry. I'm getting like fucking. I'm like want to fight right now. Like that's the reactive trauma, right? Like this, yep, yep. It, it was like that moment. It was. I don't need to please anybody or make them see my respect, my, my like respective perspective. Like mm. I don't have to feed into this. I don't have to allow this to be like anything that, but what it is. And, and I realized that there is so many layers to reactive trauma that we think we've healed. But when we're presented with the opportunity, it's really our, like the universe saying to us, are you going to finally put a fucking boundary up? So this shit stops. Because there's no title that a person has in your life. There's no amount of relationship that a person carries in their life. And there's no amount of love that you have for those people that is worth you constantly having to prove your worth, constantly having to cater to that person's emotional state, constantly having to cater to the environment because God forbid your perspective is hurt. And at that moment, you, I didn't care that it wasn't. And, you know, they left. It was a really dramatic day. And you know, but I'm not going to hash it out because it really doesn't matter. But the bottom line was, is I had to sit in reflection and I had to sit there and really think about the times that I've really gone and, and really poured into their lives versus what I've got and how I've never, I'm always like, no worries, no pressure, whatever works, always being there unconditionally and compassionately and always being respectful of somebody else's environment and reality that we all live in our own reality. That this person has never done that for me. Never. And this is a lifelong person. So it was like, you're going to throw that at me for the one time that I can't follow through and that I want to be with my son and then tell me it's shit and that that's not real. Whoa. How fucked up is it that I have been trying to please and or accommodate and it will never be enough. It will never be enough. So it gave me for the first time an opportunity to handle this on a way of like what it is for me. For, for me, my love needed to be brought back to me and my child and, and my world because the way she is perceiving and her family is not, the way, is not even close to the way 
it affected me in my reality. So it's that disconnect between, again, she's in her own reactive trauma. I'm in my own reactive trauma and we are reacting together and trying to make each other see it. She probably felt like she was a nuisance and she was already stressed out and she probably felt like she wasn't wanted. That was projected outwards. Nobody there felt like that. Not one person felt like that. I was pumped to be around these people. I had made my whole trip was about this. So it was really like, wow, I have to put up a boundary because I will not go above and beyond anymore. I will not pretend that, you know, go, this is going back to a previous episode of like, you know, one of the things that was thrown in there is I would have driven your son home all the way to New Hampshire if I needed to. We were like four hours from my home, mind you. And I was like, yeah, how about you call with a phone call? You know, how about you start with a phone call for us for his birthday? Maybe a card, you know, something that I already had to deal with already. Mm. This, you know, so for you to say you would go to the ends of earth for my son is comical because you haven't and you don't. So it, that was really the driving force. And, and normally I would want that to be heard, right? Like somehow that was going to give me justification for putting a boundary up. But it doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. So the point of the fucking story is, is that the betrayal level, the level that we take on for other people and trying to make their emotional states okay is never going to be enough because it is that person's reality and how they respond that's going to define their reality and the people closest to them. So there is no amount that I could say, no amount that I could plead my case, no amount that would even be able to be digested by those, that family, those, that dynamic at that moment and maybe going forward. So I had to kindly back away and kindly say, your reality is not mine. And what you were defining as crap and me wanting to spend time with my son and somehow abandoning you and your children because I wouldn't accommodate or drive home request with, by the way, you don't want to sit in traffic. So you want me or everybody else there to have to sit in the traffic when I already have a three and a half hour ride home, four hours with the traffic. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just so crazy to think that why am I trying to make the emotional state here okay when her whole thing has been built in the perspective of what I can do for her? I've allowed that to be the dynamic. Mm -hmm. So I took it away. And it was really hard. We want to know something. For the first time, I wasn't somatically processing. Well, we had our first altercation. I was, but I could feel the energy leaving me and something was different. I could feel it. And when we had communication the day after, I wasn't mad. In fact, I handled it compassionately. And then the response that I got after being compassionate, even then I wasn't mad. And I said, you are allowed to have your perspective, however you need to interpret this, but I will not let you define my reality as yours. And I will not let you misinterpret my heart, my intentions and who I am. You don't have to say, you don't have to believe what I'm saying, but I will not allow that to be my reality. And I hope we can move past this. But if we can't, I completely respect your wishes. And that was it. Now, that seems so final, you know, like, oh, all right. But it was like that wasn't, it wasn't even me saying it to her. It was me saying it to me. Yeah. So like, that's the process of reactive trauma. That's the level of healing we're looking to get to. And, and something else will come back. Something else will come back around and it'll be something else another time. And, and it always is there. But our job is to catch the reactive trauma as it's happening during those very moments and say, how have I contributed to this? You know, I had to really look at myself. And, you know, the people that I was with was like, you know, 
none of us talk about it because we're not going to sit here and be like, you know, let's, let's all try to figure life out together. You know, everybody in that room and in that dynamic was having their own perspective. So there was so much of like observing that was happening rather than everybody acting upon everybody else's perspective, trauma and interpretation. And there was something so freeing about that. It was liberating. I feel liberated. I feel like I stuck up for myself, but not stuck up for myself to be like shaming or saying somebody else's perspective is wrong. I stuck up for myself because of what my perspective is in my life is right. And nobody else needs to see that but me. And that is beating the fuck out of your own reactive trauma. That is taking your power back and being like, no, I'm not going to cower and or take this as my reality because really avoid me, you know, not addressing it is my avoidance. That's attachment style. That's trauma. Mm. So I just feel really strong and I feel like it did something really fucking powerful. And if if I was a client, I would be like, well, fucking done, Michelle. So I've been treating myself a little bit like a client, like you did it. Even when your voice was quivering, even when you were shaking, you still did it. You spoke your truth, you stood your ground and you didn't do anything wrong. So you don't need to be like bad girl, Michelle. Look at you can't make everybody in in the world happy. Shame on you. It wasn't like that. And so it was really powerful. And I hope that if people can understand that the boundaries and going into the reactive trauma is not about reliving and is not shaming yourself for, for having reactive trauma. It's liberating yourself to be powerful. It's showing you opportunities and where you can step up to for yourself. And, and allow your truth to be heard, who you are to be heard, and allow a boundary to be put up so you can now have one less bit of reactive trauma that's controlling the show. That is power, my friend. Absolutely. Wow. Well said and well-deserved self-kudos there. Thank you, Bob. Absolutely. Oh, I have a few. So I have a few things I want to say. I'm in the Akashic, so I'm going to... Uh, oh! I was hoping you were going to, but then you don't want to be like, so do you want to go in there or what? <laughs> so, so if, if I get derailed side note, I can, I can edit this if, yeah, if needed, but, but also but those, we need an episode of, uh, just derailment conversations. Yeah. Totally <laughs> so yeah, we'll wake up. the first thing is the going back to when you were saying it's not about gaming yourself or for allowing it to happen. It's about being present to stop it or have that presence of mind when it's happening and that it's reactive trauma is cyclical. So did you just miss an opportunity where something like this happened? Don't worry. There will be another right? And that's why this information is valuable, whether you're listening to this and, and you're 14 years old or, or 30 years old or 90. Because it's uh, a fact of life. It's part of being a human being and it's a cyclical thing. And so that's a really good point that I wanted to accentuate with that. And then I was thinking about this instance taken out of context as one situation. Okay. So for a moment, removing the history of, of reactive trauma from it. And There's a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous, they say expectations are premeditated resentments, meaning when you put an expectation on someone else, you are setting yourself up to resent that person when they don't meet your expectations. And that's a common enough issue 
without the baggage and reactive trauma that we have, all of us collected over the course of our life, right? Then when you add that to it, it, it starts to make a little bit more sense why this zero to 100, why the reaction that someone had, not that it, 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 it validates or makes it appropriate in any way. It's just a little more understandable why uh, it went to the degree that is to the observer, not equal to what happened at all. It, in my mind, just knowing that fact and, and having that perspective, being able to see that is a huge part of being able to be present in what's going on, draw things back inward and make an effort to not be reactive or cut our reactive periods short and, and stop and think and say what is really happening here and address the appropriate boundaries, which you uh, did so well and explained so well, so that you're addressing what you can address. You can't change someone else, can't heal someone else's trauma for them. Right. 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 uh, And you can work on your part, your side. And like we talked about in the relationships podcast, if there's a history of an unfair dynamic, (laughs) <laughs> an imbalance going on and and someone decides to so- start putting up a, a healthy and reasonable boundary it, it is likely that it's not going to be seen that way by the other person when it's first put up and, right. and this was also a very good example of that uh all back to the relationship episode too, right. Exactly. Because that simple boundary of no, I can't accommodate you with that request was a was a boundary enough to trigger this completely other thing. Even yes. that no. And then all of a sudden that me saying no, I removed myself from the role I play in this dynamic. And that was starkly obvious. Because I didn't even react like this over you not making my son feel seen. Which is a huge deal, which was a year-long thing, which was something I've been working with for a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So it was just that, like, wow, and, and needed to be that grandioser. And the things that you, you know, the fact that you can bring it back to the relationship part is this dynamic is clearly something that's so ingrained that it may not even be visible to the other person just how much of a giver role I am in. Mm-hmm. And when I say no to it, just how expected it is, that's what I would expect the other person to look at it. This is what is what is happening in this dynamic that makes you feel that me saying no is is enough for you to to, you know, have this level of anger. And why is that so triggering? Mm. What, what is it about that? That is like and then look at why that's triggering to you, because the word no was used to you mm-hmm. deeper. So this is how I would work through my clients with this. I have this unique perspective of being able to look at it through my own life. And then now that I put that boundary up and I've made peace with whatever this is, I now step back and I look at it like, wow. So like I need to handle myself like a client, but that also brings in the way that I would handle this person in the situation as a client. And, you know, there's a lot that's being left out about the yelling, screaming, all of that, but none of that matters. What I see is the energy behind it. And that's why I wasn't aggressive and responsive. 
I won't do that. That's also why I didn't bring up anything about wanting to rehash how it's affected me because she's not going to hear it. Right. Yep. When you get a handle on that reactive trauma and then you double it with how the role you played in the relationship and you have those two stark things looking back at you, Mm -hmm. that's the exact fuel you need to see what the fuck in you is not healed and what the fuck in you is running the show. Because that doesn't make you feel good. The second I put that boundaries up and I responded the way that felt intuitively right to me and I sat with intention and I did what I normally do, the release and the freedom of that was absolutely worth every single thing and every moment of that day and how I handled it because I could see that I had turned a corner. I didn't have that to offer this conversation then when we were doing this at first because this is a doozy for me. This mm. is some, this is a very big one for me. So this dynamic, this, this relationship, this experience. So to be able to have that input now is like totally why shit it, for me is one of the reasons why shit didn't line up before for us to continue yeah. the conversation. Like Definitely. did anything happen in your life that you want to share or paraphrase? Like, I feel like we're talking sure. cryptic code, you know what I mean? But I you know that you on the other dynamic have absolutely run into stuff like this. Definitely. And first, let me point out that another thing that I noticed is how you were able to address a cyclical reactive trauma from uh, a subtle repetitive trauma in your life that resulted in being fixer, needing to appease. Mm-hmm. And with that, without having to bring all of that back up and and process through it with them Mm. right there was a need for you just to sort of understand and and have awareness around that but then after that in order to address it you were able to do so by kindly lovingly expressing this boundary and after discerning that that is truly what's best for yourself and your people and you still addressed it you didn't have to bring all uh of history and in fact said it would it wouldn't have mattered yeah because it doesn't matter no that matters right like we can go in and i can be like well you're gonna sit here and tell me how it's affected you fucking matters and that's right you're kicking reactive trauma in the balls yeah. Does it matter anymore? Your your stance when you realize that the only thing that is keeping this reactive trauma alive is the fact that you keep getting on the fucking ride. Yep. You know what I mean? Like that could have went any which way. We could have rehashed everything. We could have went back into, you know, call my son when we got in a fight. You know what I'm saying? Like we could go back into all of the history of everything that happened. Yep. It's not going to fix going forward what we need to happen. We can't drive a car when we're looking in the rearview mirror. That's one of the things that I say the most is like, if you want to drive your car and you want to get past the fucking road you're on, you are not going to stare in the rear view because you're going to hit every obstacle and every opportunity that comes mm-hmm. up. You're going to plow over all of it. So keep your eyes in the fucking road and stop looking in the past. So past things, whether it was an hour or fucking 20 years ago, is not relevant to moving forward from reactive trauma because there's mm-hmm. no amount of validation and no amount of somebody else either seeing, hearing, or, or witnessing you that's going to make reactive trauma disappear. So there are times where you're going to need to take a stance and maybe say how things are affecting you. But most of the time, the only person you need to say how things are affecting you that needs to be heard is to your fucking self. Yep. 
And that was a turning point for me. And that's like, holy shit. I love being the student in life. That's why I'm like, so that's why I'm always uh, eager for these moments. Not, I hate the way they're packaged as per usual. I was like, this wrapping paper sucks. And why is this fucking, I didn't want this gift. This gift sucks. But it's all in that movement towards like, yeah, you're getting out of your way. You're getting like, this is what you needed right now. Is Are you going to open the gift and see the perspective that's inside? Or are you going to keep not opening it because you don't like the fucking wrapping paper? You know, right. taking the blinder off. It just really felt good and empowering. And and thank you for showing me and like for holding that mirror up for me and be like, also recognize that you didn't bring all of that up because that in in and of itself was another layer that I always come back to is, well, if you're going to say that, because in my mind, in my ego, right, in my victimhood, it's like, well, look at, I can, uh, if you were going to go fucking toe to toe, let's do that, shall we? Because I know my, I have a fucking list a gazillion miles long, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And right. it's not worth it. I've already had my moments of healing with those, by the way. Like we've right. already had conversations of that. There are times where those are going to need to come out. I don't want anybody who's really been invalidated by someone not to speak up at certain moments because there have been moments with this dynamic in this relationship where I have had, where without even talking about it, where that person has literally apologized for the way that they, you know, I'm so sorry I did this to you. Now that I have kids and I see that I cannot believe that. Or now that I'm an adult and I have had more time and experience, I look back and I'm really sorry. You know, and so like we've had that moment. So I'm not thinking that this is all lost, by the way, this conversation and me putting that boundary up. I think there may be a break, a momentary lapse, but I do know that the joining is where the relationship is because it's not these breaks that matter. I know that I, we've probably said this in the podcast before, but it's the mending and how we come back together that defines a relationship. It's never the breaks. You know, mm. on your deathbed and be like, oh my God, remember when this happened? You're going to look back and, and see the people around you and think of all of the times that you've come together and that they've been there for you. You don't look at all the times that they've disappointed you. That's not how we reflect back when we're on our deathbed. And that's like what matters. So I know there'll be a joining or at least I can hold that in my intent. Whatever that person decides is completely up to them. But I will always hold the joining back together because of the love that's there. You can't fight with people that you don't love. Mm. You have a fuck about somebody, you're not going to put the energy into fighting and you're sure is not, not going to put the energy into your own self-work so you can better and be more healthy in that dynamic. Yeah. So it's really a reflection of love. I think a lot of this stuff, this reactive trauma really comes down to the fact that we really fucking love that person or our situations. And it just really hurts that some of the people and dynamics were involved in it because of that love. So it becomes a double-edged sword. So it's not easy things apart that's for sure but we get thrown into this like i wouldn't pick the situation i'm like yeah we can just skirt over that for a few more months <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely so i there's an example of something that's been coming up recently for me this is one of those subtle and repetitive traumas that i didn't realize was a trauma and started when i was young so the example that what's is talked about amongst my family and people who knew me when I was young was it, I think kindergarten, I was given an assignment and it was uh, a color by numbers and it was a plant. And so it had a one on the nose and one red, you know, color by numbers. So I didn't want to color. I didn't feel like coloring. I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't good at it when I was younger, uh, at staying in the lines and stuff. So I took the corresponding crayon and I 
if one was red, I, I circled all the ones with red. I circled all the twos with green or whatever, and then handed it in. And the teacher said, you were supposed to color this. And I said, yeah, I don't really like coloring. And this is supposed to teach me to make the association to the numbers and colors. This is me, kindergarten. Uh, no joke. This is how I, I do Right. And, and so I, I demonstrated that I knew that. Of course, I'm saying this in kindergarten terms. And now I want to go play with the blocks. Right. And so I was kept after class. And when my mom came in with me up, the teacher said that we had an issue. I didn't know it was an issue. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that I had done that. And for whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure what the teacher's point was that I was being fresh or disrespectful to elders or how they meant it but this was the earliest time that i remember this happening where i was essentially reprimanded for thinking outside the box thinking things through and told that that was inappropriate mm -hmm. and that happened a lot when i was growing up and my teachers my my elders didn't usually didn't react well to it. So I took this false narrative that it wasn't okay for me to process things in uh, the, the way that I default to, which is, is taking into consideration everything that's going on in that scenario and then making a new plan and not necessarily what I was told to do, but use my own senses as to what's going on around and then, and then make a new. So as an adult in hindsight, this is uh, more of an asset than a liability to think that way. But I have an emotional reaction, a negative emotional association with creative solutions now, mm -hmm. right? This one is a little different than I wanted to talk about because it, it wasn't so much one individual or one scenario. It was just people who were older than me or in some form of authority as a whole, as a group, addressing this in the same way. And it's required concentration and effort on my part to rewrite that false narrative that it's inappropriate to come up with creative solutions. Yeah. Uh, to add to that, people will still give that reaction occasion when I, I take a novel approach to a problem or situation. That is particularly triggering. And I, I, I need to really put forth effort to uh, not go into a reactive place. I, like, I literally feel like I want to stamp my feet and have a tantrum like a two-year. That's how I feel yeah. when that gets brought up. Because that's how old it is, right? Yeah. So what do you think? Okay, so I, there's so much that I could say in that, but I'm going to try. I took two notes. I'm going to try to go to the beginning, and then hopefully it will take me and continue where, where you were going. Sure. But the two things are the subtle and repetitive. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I want to go all the way back to that because when we're talking about reactive trauma, a lot of the times, because of labels and definitions, people will define trauma as some grandiose event. But, but what we, a lot of the times, what we're talking about, or a lot of the times, what causes reactive trauma is small, repetitive validations that happen over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Ever gets you to this point. So there's something really profound and also really fucking sad about the fact that the color by number example that you gave, the fact that you weren't celebrated for your brilliance and you're out of the box and the fact that you actually have a brilliant mind and rather you were shunned and you were ridiculed for that and reprimanded because you weren't a good obedient society soldier. So if that doesn't go to show to you that you have been out of the, <laughs> you've been the highlighter in a box of Sharpies. Seriously, I don't know what does. And so you got that, even though it wasn't maybe a different, a different dynamic, a different storyline, a different mm. characters. You were repeated back in different areas of your life that you are not a good obedient boy, that you are not good, that you don't have the ability to make creative choices. That actually, the way you think is silly. And it's shameful. Mm-hmm. So of course it would cause such a big trigger because what you did back then was brilliant. But what you hadn't didn't have is you had a bunch of people, a bunch of adults that were in their own reactive trauma running the show and projecting it at you. Because I guarantee you that teacher had made and that's probably why they were teachers, to make sure that it was like these kids were kept in line rather than these kids were stimulated and nurtured. Mm-hmm. So that teacher most likely had, I go back to that because it's something as little as that, that causes it to be, you know, you're little, you don't know any better. So you would not allow yourself to go into that space for the fear of that energetic blow that you felt at that young age and reactive trauma has done everything since then. And all of the times that have happened after to prevent that one blow that caused that energetic bruise. Mm-hmm. That's reactive trauma. It's the repetitive, it's the small little thing. And it's the the fact that you want to work through that trigger is enough to weaken it. But the fact that you have the awareness of the trigger and you've already had a trace back, this is where I would go into again, what we had already done before is that we've created that safe place. This is where you would go back and you would take that aspect of yourself and, and you would use your triggers as an indication that you need to go back into these some of these memories. And you know what? Some of it's going to be you you know, maybe going back, I'm going to, it's not always going to go back to the same memory, but I'm going to just use this because it's what we're talking about. Maybe it's you going back and and correcting the teacher and this, this time around, maybe it's you going back and and rescuing that fractured aspect of yourself, that little boy, that, that time, maybe it's going back and rewriting what should have happened energetically. Because if we shift the blueprint, we shift the memory and feelings and vibrations associated with it. Because your mind can't tell what's imagined versus what's happening because it's all created in the same part within our mind. So we get to go in there and that's where you would take, you would either integrate this memory, integrate that aspect of yourself, integrate that version of that teacher, let's say, and you would either bring them back to your safe space. You would integrate them as part of you and you would move forward. The grandioser of the trigger is showing you that there's more than just one aspect of yourself that really needs to be looked at that has been affected by that experience. So not surprisingly, because this is us, I did exactly that. Essentially where it went 
to, I did a version that, that we've walked through of, I did actually both where I addressed my younger self mm -hmm. and then where I addressed the teacher. I love it. And without getting you know, too much into how I, I did that, I, uh, the details of it, I, from my perspective now, I gave the best advice that I felt I, I should. And the end result of that was, I'm just going to be very candid here. Please do. That how I approach a situation is, is up to me. And I will deal with the consequences of the approach that I took to that problem and someone else's feelings about the method are inconsequential to me. They can eat a bag of shit with a straw. <laughs> I love when you say that. <laughs> oh my God. Gee, it's been a good year since I've heard you. <laughs> Thank you for that. For breaking out that old chestnut. Yes. Yeah. God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that essentially was like what it came down to. And so now I've felt more empowered when it's not been, when the reactive trauma is happening just because I'm like, this is a really uh, outside the box approach that I'm taking. Uh, I haven't been in a situation yet because it's happened less frequently as an adult where someone reacted as though it were inappropriate. And so I'm waiting to uh, have that experience now, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but have felt more empowered. And maybe I've changed very slightly the wording with a little preface if particularly, you know, I'm a manager at, at my job and, and right. if taking an outside approach, I'll say, hey, this is, you know, a little outside the box, but how about, like, I'll add that or something like that. Mainly if it's something that I think people aren't going to quite understand because they're not thinking where I'm thinking. It's yeah. more to address that than to appease those who might react badly. Yeah. So, so I I'm, can totally, as you're talking about you at work, I was obviously understanding the caliber of what you were talking about, but I'm glad that you're showing in real time how something all those years ago, still to this day, when approaching your manager, you're approaching your employees, right? Like, I mean, yeah. by default, you could approach and be like, this is what we're doing, but, right? Right. But right. you don't. And you even, one, you're not a dick. And I know you wouldn't do that. But number two, you even like knowing, even with that authority, that reactive trauma still packages the wording. For sure. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Wow. That's really going to be powerful to a lot of people hearing that because it's showing in the little small ways that reactive trauma is always running the show. It's just yeah. doing its job. It's trying to prevent a yesterday's hurt from becoming a today's reality. Mm. And that's so important because that's what like kept us alive when saber tooth tigers were chasing us and when like, you know, we were like primitive and, and really fighting for our lives versus the elements and other species and other humans. Like, um, but we don't have that now but that doesn't mean that's not built in there so like our our reactive trauma is really the replacement for our active survival yeah well that sounded really good <laughs> i was like whoa oh okay. well because that's i'm anticipating that someone not understanding or taking a minute to understand is 
maybe a precursor to that reaction. Yep. So maybe if I address that precursor, I won't get that reaction. And then you I, don't have to feel that trigger. And then I don't have to trauma, feel that trigger. I don't have to go into reactive trauma. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And it's like always working. Like reactive trauma just isn't you feeling like you're in trauma. Reactive trauma is a, a sneaky motherfucker. It, yeah. Behind the scenes, it's so subtle. It's so, you know, because these things are subtle. Yes. Is Can there be reactive trauma from like a severe really traumatic one-time experiences like car accidents, things like that, or uh, sexual assault or assault in general. It, it, yes, of course. Can mm. it be grandiose or things that have happened repetitively over the years? Absolutely. But most people that have reactive trauma are dealing with the subtle and repetitive moments of life where a energetic blow that causes spiritual and energetic bruise happened. And every single time since then, we've tried to prevent it. Yeah. And then when it's come through, the reactive trauma then acts as you being in trauma. And because most of us will feel our body, we won't even realize we're in trauma. So we're basically saying our, our body, you hold it. Yeah. The entire physical response that happens too with the energy and the boundaries through reactive trauma. So when I just described it being liberating and free, like even the conversation about your reactive trauma that we've just having that right now I feel liberated and free for you because we're talking about it because it's something that it's like you're saying it outside of yourself. Like, you know, it to be real because it's your life. But when you say it outside yourself and you give the opportunity to like bounce it back and forth, you know what I mean? Rap with somebody about it. You all of a sudden kind of see the claws that it has in you. And like one by one, you can peel those claws back. Mm. And it is cylindrical. So we are going to come back to this. Right. But every time you come back, it's one layer less. Yep. It, it may come in grandioser nature, but the processing of it was almost instantaneous for me this time. Mm -hmm. I was so grateful for the opportunity. Hate that it had to have happened. Wish that it wasn't with the people it was with. But I was so grateful for the opportunity because it gave me a chance to see how fast I become aware of the trauma, how fast I take accountability, how fast I handle it from compassion rather than reaction. And how fast it led to freedom. I usually will sit up at night, think about it over and over. And it was like, that's not there. Yeah. Like, Dude, had you not give somebody the time and the opportunity to have that, you would never know how far of integration you've come. So I'm elated with the fact that I can look at this and instead of sitting and, oh my God, let's lick our wounds. I can sit in the beauty of the way I handled myself. For yeah. me and my reactions for me and my reaction towards myself and my environment for me, for the mental, spiritual, physical, you know, emotional health of all involved. Because, hey, I come home upset. I affect my son. I affect my husband. You know what I mean? So there's all yeah. the ripple that happens in your own life by taking accountability for your reactive trauma, pulling yourself back from the ways that you were adding to it. And also processing it. it. It allows so much more continuity within your reality, your daily reality. There's really only a few people that are in my daily reality. Right. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, they usually catch the splash damage. Of course. Right. Of course. They get the fucking shit parts of it. They're yeah. the ones that get it taken on. They're the ones that's going to listen to me. They're the one that's going to help me process. They're the one that's going to watch mom cry. You know, like that right. sucks. So they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to be the one that gets the venom for me when I can't control it. 
you know, because I know they're going to love me regardless. So you always let the one you love most have those vulnerable moments of you when maybe you're mm-hmm. acting in emotion when really the person who triggered you should be getting those moments. But if you're not going to give it to the person that triggered you, then you sure as fuck don't bring it home to the people that love you and live with you. Right. And that was another lesson. And that's something that I always make sure that I do. I try very, very hard, especially with what I do for work, that I, I don't let those things affect me. But when it's so grandiose and it's so personal in your life, to really having the knowing and the wherewithal to not apply the same toxic behaviors in your own life and whatever boundary you're putting up within that dynamic, you also need to make sure that you're putting the buffer between the people you love the most. Because the boundary doesn't mean that it's not going to come up. The boundary means that you're going to process it differently. You're going to process it more compassionately for yourself more so than external. Yeah, and also what you were saying about I want to say like, it's no accident that things lined up so that you could address this entirely, that your surroundings and energetic situation was such that you were able to address this in, in its entirety. And there's, there's also that aspect of it, of our help from the other side. Oh, that we get like, into the woo for a minute about this situation. Like you want to know how to fucking woo that stuff got <laughs> like fuck yeah. seriously. So I'm by the ocean, which I live in New Hampshire. I'm like an hour and a half from an ocean, but even that it's like a little tiny area in New Hampshire. So I was like old stomping ground ocean and it was the full buck moon. And just so happened, I went to the beach to watch the sun set. And as I turned around, I realized that because, you know, where where this location is, there's water on all sides. So I got to go and and watch the moon rise, the full moon rise. Full moon is all about releasing, releasing mm-hmm. what no longer serves you, releasing what's not benefiting you, releasing the collective shame, releasing the collective wounds, releasing anything, any blocks that are in your way or any part of your dynamic that's in resistance to your highest and best. So I had my feet in that water. And as that tide was coming up, I was having, and it was pulling away from me. I was having it remove all of that. I was having it remove all of the things that I just processed. I was having it remove the years of sludge that my body has been holding on to that I had to live in that reactive trauma around the things that were triggered. I watched it cascade over me, like all pulling all of this energy out. And as I opened my eyes after releasing, the, the moon was rising over the ocean. And like, I don't know about you people, but if you have not seen a moon rise over the ocean, you need to, because we all put so much emphasis around the sunrise and the sunset. There is something magical, mysterious, and absolutely awe-inspiring about watching the moon rise in any state, but a full buck moon? Oh, I will take that. It's yeah. like, serendipitous, universal, divine line up energetically with the planet, with the stars, with the full moon, it could, the ocean, it couldn't have been more in harmony. It was like God came and was like, all right, Michelle, remember how I walked on water? Bitch, stand in. We're going to pull this out of you. We're going to even have the moon rise when you open your eyes. It was, I, I was like, what is this? The Jim Carrey movie? You know, what is that called? The Truman Show, when it's like all perfect and all timed and it's just this big script. I mean, like, who cued the moon? Yeah. The only thing that would have been better is that they started playing like a fucking soundtrack behind it. Right. (laughs) And I was like, my arms were out and it was just this glorious moment of 
everything is well. Oh, yeah. Well, even when things don't feel well, it's well. Even when our life isn't what we quote unquote want, it's well. Everything is exactly where it needs to be. And I always trust that I am being led to where I need to go. Even if it's where I didn't know I needed to go, even if it's without the people I thought I needed, whatever it is, I know. Because the only thing that's never truly failed me in this world is that knowing. Mm. No, it, like, and, and listen, like, I, I failed people because I'm fucking human. So I've been that person in other people's lives. I know that people can fail you. I know places can fail you. I know situations can fail you. But the one thing that has never failed me is the trusting and the knowing. Mm. And that is what I focused on. That, yeah, that's, you know, that's so good because if things, oh, I'm reminded of, I don't know who sent it to you, but okay. that if things are lining up like that, they work for you and you're like in observer mode and you're like, I think this is the time to address this, but I don't know. No, you do know you're looking for the courage to do it. Yeah. Right. And if things are lining up like that, just go. Yep. And I can't remember because now I'm like, oh my God, I gotta go read every text message I ever got in my life to find out. <laughs> I didn't mean to even come work. Who the conversation was. But it's so we don't get these moments often where you can see quite legit stars align. <laughs> mm -hmm. We don't get those opportunities often. And it is a fucking shame. It is our absolute duty to grab onto those and use that as the affirmation and the confirmation that all is well. Yeah. Things are, when we say all is well, that doesn't mean everything and what you have to do in life as well. It just means that everywhere, everybody that is around you, everything that has happened, as well it's all in alignment it's divine right. alignment. it's where it all be. well because it's beyond our conception i don't need to know this is true i need to feel this is true i don't understand gravity i'm not floating away but i feel gravity every day it's holding me to the earth it's allowing that non-physical to be the dominant force and every time i am gifted with that opportunity like i was this weekend on such a deep level i can't help but bow in reverence to God. I can't help but get on my knees and feel so grateful mm. for that connection and for me trusting that knowing rather than fearing it, for me allowing that to be my beacon of light rather than being afraid of it. It's just always keeps me in such gratitude and a very humble gratitude of that. You mm. know, it's just always something that makes me so grateful and so proud I just hope that people navigate through that. Like, that's one thing. If anyone's like, could you give anybody one thing what to be? It would be that trust to follow that knowing. That's mm -hmm. what faith is. That's what we go to learn. <laughs> but it's already there. It's yeah. trusting that knowing. Um, and that knowing got me out of what would have been reactive trauma, a depressive state, and then groveling, trying to be worthy enough to be in, in their life. Yeah. Um, that's what that would have led to had I not had that knowing and that trust and not you know, done so much work on myself and gotten in the trenches with so many others. There's so many people that are part of my journey that I drew from during this experience. Those lessons, whether it was somebody I was channeling for, or whether it was just a conversation I had with a very brilliant person or, you know, whatever it is, I, I drew through so much of the strength of others and through my own experience to get to this 
really big pillar of strength. You know, the karate kid when he's in the, now we're going to be dating ourselves for all you guys. We're talking about the ones that came in like 1984, 86, like where Daniel son is standing on there. He's in the ocean. He's on those like dock things. It's like those little pillars he's standing on. And he's, he's practicing the crane kick. Yeah. That's what I feel like I'm on right now. You know what I'm saying? Like that was yeah. red eye shit. You know what I mean? Is grasshopper going to step into it or not? You know? Right. <laughs> So it was really a powerful growth moment. And I was also humbled and grateful that we didn't finish this podcast, that we didn't button up this conversation because this right here was reactive trauma on steroids, but Mm -hmm. more so was the opportunity of a lifetime to show me what the fuck it is that I've been doing all of this time. You know, how much growth I've done on, on, on my own journey. Like, there's never an end to it. It's always, a, and, and it's just awesome, like, to see that. Everyone forgets that just because we sit in the trenches with others, I think a lot of the times people forget that we also have our own trench. And to be in my trench and to be in it with myself and my faith and be in it, like, for me, with me, to me, it was fucking awesome. I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. I really yeah. would you can't even put a value on it. Really can't. You fucking, you, you truly can't. Yeah. Uh, I love all of it. I was like, woo, woo. <laughs> and of course, the trauma is going to come wrapped in like with a magical woo-woo surprise at the end with the full. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, now you're just showing off, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I have a saying, it's all, it's all one. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, ship high in the air yes i'd like to visit the moon but i don't think i'd like to live there though i'd like to look down at the earth from above i would miss all the places and people i love so although i might like it for one afternoon I don't want to live on the moon I'd like to travel under the sea I could meet all the fish everywhere Yes, I'd travel under the sea But I don't think I'd like to live there I might stay for a day there if I had my wish But there's not much to do when your friends are all fish And oysters and clams aren't real family So I don't want to live in the sea I'd like to visit the jungle, hear a lion roar Or go back in time and meet a dinosaur There's so many strange places I'd like to be But none of them permanently So if I should visit the moon Well, I'll dance on a moonbeam And then I will make a wish on a star And I'll wish I was home once 
watch again. Though I'd like to look down at the earth from above, I would miss all the places and people I love. So although I may go, I'll be coming home soon. Cause I don't want to live on the moon. No, I don't want to live on the moon. What? <laughs>